Hi, everybody. It's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome or welcome back to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. So, you know, some of us have a lot of scruples and then others, not so many. You know what a a scruple is. A dictionary definition is uh, a scruple is an ethical reservation that restricts action. Another word we could use for that is a conviction, a personal conviction that we have. So some people have a lot of scruples. Some people, you know, you, you talk with them and you find out that they don't listen to certain kinds of music. I mean, there are some people that might even say, oh, we shouldn't have drums or electric guitars in church. There's some people have scruples around music. Some people have scruples around dancing to any kind of music. Um, some people shouldn't be dancing to any kind of music. But if you have a scruple where you're like, I shouldn't be doing that, then, I mean, that's, that's a scruple. That's an ethical reservation. Some people might be offered a glass of wine and say, no, no, thank you. Uh, my conscience doesn't allow me to, to participate in that. Uh, some uh, have scruples around movies. And so um, you, may, you may say there's a certain rating of movies or TV shows that I'm, I'm not going to watch. Some have scruples around card playing, uh, believe it or not. Funny story about that. When I came to Grace Point, I was facilitating, we were having a, uh, an elder retreat one weekend, and so we were gathered together as actually elders and wives, and we were doing an icebreaker that called for a, some playing cards, and somehow we were going to pass the cards out, and it was going to match you up with other people. And I said to the group, like, I went through my house, and like, I couldn't find any, any playing cards. And so don't you know, next, the next week, in my mailbox shows up this set of playing cards, poker cards from an elder's wife. And I'm like, wow, what kind of church have I come to here? You know, obviously, well, and that does not have scruples about, about playing cards. So some people have a lot of scruples. There are other people that, that don't have that many. They, they have relatively few things that they say, oh, I, I would not do that. And so the tendency here with these two groups of people is that those who have lots of scruples would tend to maybe look at those who, who don't have very many and say, wow, don't you think you're, you're kind of loose? You know, don't you think you should tighten it up a little bit? I mean, you know, and, and the people who are in this camp are looking at them and they're saying, well, you're just, you're like too stuffy. Like you need to lighten up and loosen up. And so all of this kind of raises some questions for us as in, well, whose list is right? And um, it, is right and wrong really relative? Is it just up to me to decide like what, what is right and, and what is wrong? And what does it look like to live in a community of faith with other people who think very differently about what is right and wrong? There, there's a lot of potential here for a lot of contention among us as we hold to different convictions. So there's a lot at stake with this, 
because there is a, a world outside of here that need, really needs Jesus. And as they watch how we interact with each other, they're, they're trying to figure out, is Jesus something that I need in my life and want in my life? And so it's real important how we treat each other. And we're gonna talk about how to navigate all these differences this morning. If you would turn with me to Romans chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there's one on a seat close to you. And Romans 14 is on page 1050. We have been studying through this, this book, and believe it or not, we're gonna end next month. I just realized this morning, like we've only got about six weeks left here. It's amazing. And so we are in the final season, fourth season of Romans, and we are talking about a transformed life. We've been talking a lot about what we believe. We wanna believe correctly. Now we're talking a lot about how to behave in light of that belief. And so one of the things we've discovered in the last few weeks is that love is a primary characteristic of a transformed life. And so what does love look like in a community with people who hold to very different convictions and belief systems? We're gonna read about that. Let's start in verse one. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So as we read this this morning, you may be asking the question in your mind, like what is the big deal here about eating? Like, so one person's eating anything, another person's eating vegetables, abstaining, partaking. I mean, what is the big deal about this? So here's where a little cultural background will help us. Remember that the, the church in Rome, who's receiving this, this letter, would have been made up of some Jewish background believers in Christ, and then many, probably more Gentile, non-Jewish believers in Christ. And so both Jews and Gentiles might have a tendency to have some issues, some scruples around food. So let me explain that. Jewish people, have a long history, and it's deep in their psyche to have, have restrictions around their food. So if a, an observant Jew is following the law of Moses, there are certain foods that they cannot eat. You know, pork, so no bacon for them, very sad. And so they, I mean, they, if they're gonna be observant, then they're looking for markings when they go to the store for if something is kosher or not. When Sherry and I used to live in, in Lancaster County, uh, some of you are familiar with Kreider Farms. You might see their trucks driving around, Kreider eggs, Kreider milk, and dairy. Um, the Kreider family went to the church that we were at. And so we got to, to get a kind of a back, back scene, behind the scenes tour. And we discovered in that tour that the Kreiders had a trailer on their property where a rabbi lived for at least part of the year. And he, by his presence there, there was something about the way he prayed or just his presence there that would make their milk and their eggs kosher. 
so that they could put that symbol on, on their products. And so there's this very deep mentality for, for Jewish people who might say there's, there's certain things that I cannot, cannot eat. Now, likewise, non-Jewish people, Gentile people in Paul's day might say there are certain foods that we're not going to eat. We're not going to eat meat. And, and some of this would be not so much because of their background and their ethnicity as much as their own personal experience. Paul talks a lot about this in 1 Corinthians 8, where he talks about food offered to idols. So in Paul's day, there was all kinds of pagan worship, all kinds of gods being worshiped. And so you would have all these temples where people would take animals there to sacrifice to these false gods. And then a portion of that sacrifice would be kept there for the God, but then a lot of that meat would be taken to the marketplace and sold. And so a, a person who knew that, a person who came to faith in Christ, who knew that this meat was involved in a pagan sacrifice, might say to themselves, I, I can't eat this in good conscience. Like, I know what goes on in those temples, and I remember that, and I don't want to have anything to do with that. So that may be a scruple for, for them. Now, Paul makes really clear in 1 Corinthians 8 that there is nothing inherently or spiritually wrong with eating that meat that has been sacrificed to a false idol because he makes the point, like, it's not real anyway. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not really a God anyway. So there's nothing actually happening to that meat and there's nothing going to happen to you if you eat it. But if you have that conviction and that, if you're violating your conscience by eating it, then you should leave it alone. And likewise, for the Jewish person, Jesus set aside and, and undid, he, he, he said, this is the end of the restrictions on eating. Actually, in Mark chapter seven, Mark is very clear, like Jesus declared all foods clean. And so a Jewish person is not gonna be violating God's command by partaking even of bacon, like praise the Lord. And so, but, but, Paul says, if the weak person, he is identifying here a weak person as someone who has a more restrictive, has more scruples here and has a, a larger list of things that they're not gonna do. And he says, that's okay. So we're, we're not forced to stop obeying the law. It's, it's okay. We, we, just, we have freedom to make a decision there. And so, so in verse two, Paul identifies the person who won't eat meat as he calls them weak in faith. Verse two, he says, one person believes he can eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. That's not a comment, by the way, that you will be weak if all you eat is vegetables because it's possible to eat only vegetables and still be strong. It's okay. No, it's, it's talking about weak in faith. Here's, here's a, a good reflection on this, definition of this from Dave Ritter, who was pastor here a number of years ago. He defines weak in faith as an insecurity of the believer who has trusted Christ for salvation and yet has an anxious desire to make this salvation more certain by the scrupulous fulfillment of rules which go beyond Scripture. So here's another way to, to think about this. 
Okay, so, so far we've talked about our scruples. We've talked about our convictions. There are actually commands that God makes, that God says, and I'm gonna try a little art here. Okay, that's supposed to be a Bible. Okay, um, so these are God's commands. This is actually what God wants us to obey and not to disobey. So hopefully, we are moving more and more to have our minds in line with what God says is right and wrong. But the, the sweet spot is, is kind of right here where we agree with each other and we agree with God that here is what is right and wrong. Let me give you one simple example, and that would be lying. So always and forever, it is wrong for us to deceive one another. And so we... That, that is something that we want to do after we come to relationship with Christ, not because it makes us right with God, not because it brings us into relationship with God, but because it pleases God. I mean, it, it enhances our relationship with God to be obedient to him. So, so we want to obey. And so there are, there are certain aspects then beyond what God has commanded us that because of our background, because of our ethnicity, because of the way that we were raised, we may feel really strongly like, I just, I feel like if I do this, it's gonna be displeasing to God. We need to pay attention to that and not violate that. But Paul says, we need to not force that on someone else. So here's kind of Paul's, the bottom line of Paul's whole message in what we're talking about here today. Don't enforce your conviction as God's command. So don't treat your personal conviction at the same level with the same weight of God's commands. There are things that God has commanded us to do and not do. We actually saw some things to not do last week, if you were here. If you go back a few verses to chapter 13, verse 13, Pastor Jeremy talked about this last week. It says, let us walk properly as in the daytime, and then he gives a list of things that are not God's will for us, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. I mean, these, these are things that nobody should be doing. So whatever your personal scruples are, we, we shouldn't be doing those. And if, if we do them, then a good result of that is a healthy sense of guilt. Now, because I did the wrong thing that God didn't want me to do. Now, there's all kinds of unhealthy guilt. <laughs> there's all kinds of guilt that people force on each other because of their personal convictions. But there is a healthy guilt that leads us to repentance and to come to God and say, God, I'm sorry that I blew this. I want to please you. And so... When we, have, when we personally violate one of God's commands, that's an appropriate response. When we see someone else violate one of God's commands, maybe something in this list or something else that we have seen in Scripture, then an appropriate response, depending on your trust level with that person, is to go to that person and say, I saw this in your life, I'm seeing this in your life, and I'm concerned about that because I know that that's gonna impact your relationship with God in a negative way. And that is not judgment on that person. That is accountability. We're pointing out to that person 
here's something that God would not want in your life, and it's not gonna go well for you if you continue down this road. Judgment, judgmentalism is a whole different thing, and that's what we're talking about here today. It's when we take what is our own personal scruple, and then we raise it to the level of saying, well, you should be doing what I'm convinced I should be doing as well. You should adopt my scruples for, for yourself. And Paul says that's where we are, we're stepping out of line. So he's describing that with eating here in verse two. One person believes he may eat anything. The weak person eats only vegetables. And verse three says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So the person who has few scruples about their eating, let him not despise this person. And then let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. There's a technical term for this that captures it really well. It's the term nanya. Maybe you've heard it before, as in none your business. Like it is, it's not your business what somebody else feels is right or wrong to do. You don't need to force them into that. Let's, let's apply this to a scruple that is probably more, more uh, common for us in our culture, and that would be alcohol. So I have friends who who have a scruple that says, I will not drink any kind of alcohol. So what I could do with my friends is sit down with them and say, hey, let's you know, pull out your Bible because they, they love the Lord and they know, they know their Bible. Let's look at some verses that show you that you're actually free to, to drink alcohol. It's just that you're not free to abuse it and to get drunk. So we could go to Romans 13, 13, that says, let us not walk in drunkenness. Drunkenness is the thing that is forbidden. That's, that's part of God's commands, but you're just taking it to another level and you don't need to. You can just, just kind of relax with that. So I could have that conversation or I could just say, it's none my business, none my. You could use that too. None my business, like that's between them and God and I'm gonna leave it between them and God and I'm going to respect the fact that they think differently on this so that when they come to my house, I'm not bringing that out. I'm not even gonna ask the question. I'm not gonna have it in front of them. So, and we're gonna talk much more about that next week, respecting the, the convictions of, of other people. So we, we respect other people's differences and we welcome them. That, that's what Paul says here in verse one. As for the one who is weak in faith, the one who has a lot of scruples, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. We see that word welcome again in verse three. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. That, that word welcome means to receive into friendship and, and to treat with kindness. So that should be our posture towards people who think differently, not trying to, to convince them of our perspective. So I wanna acknowledge that sometimes, we can call these, by the way, we can call these disputable items, disputable actions. Sometimes it's disputable what is disputable. And sometimes people disagree on what should be up here with God's commands and what we can actually allow freedom on. That results from 
different interpretations of Scripture, sometimes poor interpretations of Scripture. And so there's a real personal responsibility for us as we develop our own convictions. And and that is, that gets developed as we spend time in God's Word personally, understanding what is God's mind and heart, what does He want for us, what is pleasing to Him. It gets developed as we spend time studying his word as we come in a setting like this and we hear it taught. It gets developed as we spend time in our small groups wrestling with personal issues. And so there there are all kinds of ways that we develop those convictions, but the, the key is that we're not forcing them on another person. Don't enforce your conviction as God's command. Paul gives another example with the same conclusion in verse five. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. So uh, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God to God. So now he's talking about um, uh, observing certain days. And notice here that we should come to our convictions about our scruples, not based on just what we prefer, but on what we believe is going to honor God the, the most. So, so with special days, observing special days, probably he's referring again to the Jewish background believers who would have had festivals that were prescribed for them in the, the law of Moses. So he says, these are now optional because we're not bound by the law anymore. These are now optional. So there's still value in observing them because there was deep meaning and historical meaning in them. But it's... You can do it or you cannot do it. Either way, it's okay. We can apply this to Christmas as well. I had a friend in college who had a, who had a conviction, a, a scruple that we shouldn't observe Christmas. And it was, and she had reasons for it. She was like, uh, you know, it was a, originally a pagan holiday. December 25th was a pagan holiday. So they just took a Christian holiday and pasted it over top of it. And look at all the commercialization. And it really isn't about Jesus anyway. And so, you know, she, she was, you know, very convicted about this. And she, was, and she was convicted, actually, that nobody else should be doing it either. And so I kind of got this flack about what, you know, I... You're wasting money, buying print. Just give gifts to people at other times of year, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, interesting side note that there's this older couple who's trying to fix us up. And I was like, mm, that's not going to happen because I have enough of my scruples already and she's not taking Christmas away from me. So anyway, it's fine for her to have that, that conviction, but just not to force on me and vice versa. Like I don't need to try to convince her of you know, of what I believe, just keep it between you and God because God is the one that we answer to in verse seven. We're, we're abstaining, we're, we're eating in honor of the Lord or we're abstaining in honor of the Lord. Reading on, verse seven. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. He says, just keep it between you and the Lord. It's, it's none your business. Some of you will remember the end of Romans 8, when Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let's unpack two key words quickly in, in that verse, justify. It is God who justifies. In the book of Romans, that justification is about being made right with God, having our record cleared so that a perfect and holy God can receive us. That, that happens because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we can do. We are incapable of justifying ourselves, of being just before God. So Jesus makes that possible to us. And then after we are, when we are justified in Christ and we fail again, when we mess up again, when we sin again, when we violate God's commands again, then he says, Jesus who was raised is at the right hand of God interceding for us. He's not condemning us. That, that's the voice of the enemy who's, who's saying to you, how could you do that again? You're, this whole Jesus thing isn't really real. You're, you're not really serious about it. That's the enemy. Jesus is actually like a lawyer pleading your case, and he always wins his cases. So Jesus is pleading for you. So if you're getting condemnation from somebody else because of what you are or aren't doing, just know, I mean, Paul's saying to any of us who are judging one another, who are you? Who are you to pass judgment? Verse 10. So, so let's just review four things that we are called to do. We're not called to judge one another, but there are four things in this passage that we've looked at that we are called to do. There are four imperatives here. The first is in verse one, to welcome, to, to welcome one another. Particularly, relevant when we're welcoming others in, in grace, in, in faith, in kindness, in friendship, particularly when they think differently than we do. That's when it's challenging. We naturally welcome people who think the same way we do, talk the same way we do. So welcome is this, this really beautiful word, and we've seen it twice already, and we actually see it another time at the end of this whole discussion. Paul goes on with this discussion about all of this for a little while longer, and it ends in chapter 15, verse 7, with this conclusion, therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So question for us, how has Christ welcomed you? And the answer to that question, if we're honest, is with a lot of baggage. I mean, he has welcomed us with our baggage. This is the beauty of the gospel, is every other religion tells you to clean your act up before you can get to God. And the true God, through Christ, says, come as you are. Come with, with your baggage. I kind of picture it like, 
God adopting us into his family, and he's got this spiritual mansion that we move into, and he says, okay, here's your room, and we bring all of our baggage with us. We bring our suitcase. Some of us got a lot, and we bring it in. We lug it into our room, and we unpack it, and we put it in our, our chest of drawers, and over time, Jesus is coming in, and he's, we're, we're spending time with him, and he's saying, today, let's, let's look at this drawer over here. Do you really need, you, you don't really need this anymore. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's, let's get rid of this. But God welcomes us with our baggage and he calls us to do the same towards one another. The second imperative is in verse three. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So this person over here who has few scruples and is, is free to eat, let him not despise the one who abstains and then vice versa, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Because again, it's God, God has welcomed both of them. It's none of your business. And then the last imperative is in verse five. One person esteems one day as better than another. Another esteems all days alike. Here it is. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Be fully convinced in your own mind. And this is where some of the work comes in to, to really sort through what are my convictions and why do I hold them? And it's okay for them to be different than, than someone else's. It doesn't, it doesn't matter at the end of the day if I'm right, doing right in your sight. It actually doesn't even matter if I'm doing right in my sight. It, it matters if I'm being pleasing to the Lord. And so that's where I spend time with him to understand what, what, should be, what should be in my list of things that I'm doing and not doing. What matters is being right in God's sight. And we'll talk more about this next week, but at the end of this chapter, there's a really key principle that we'll dig into. Verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So we're gonna talk more next week about how to develop those convictions so that we're acting always out of faith. For today, don't enforce your conviction as God's command. There's no room for, for trying to force others to adopt what you have come to believe is okay between you and the Lord. There's also no room for you to try to get someone else to abstain from something that you feel like is wrong for you, in both cases, Paul says, it's none of your business. Just leave that between that person and the Lord. Instead, let's prayerfully develop our own convictions and live by them, and then welcome others with all of theirs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible grace toward us that welcomes us into your family with all of our, our baggage and many times wrong concepts of what is right and wrong. We thank you, Lord, that the, that the sacrifice of Jesus has overcome all of that because it is by faith in his sacrifice that we are made right with you. And then we have the rest of our lives to kind of sort through and figure out how to best please you. Lord, help us to be more concerned about being pleasing to you personally than we are about what someone else is doing and trying to get them to conform to our set of convictions. Lord, thank you for the freedom that this passage is, is giving us 
Um, thank you for the freedom that you have provided in Christ from the law, from sin, from death. Lord, help us to walk in increasing measures of freedom and in all things to, to seek to please you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.